This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 150 here on the show in mid to late February here on this Sunday, February 19th. Myself, Noah Grant, joined alongside by Nick Maxson, as always. Uh, Nick, uh, hopefully you're feeling well. It sounds like you're feeling a little bit under the weather, so we're going to try to keep the, keep the yeah. talking to a minimum because that's what we do on the show, right? Um, yes. <laughs> with that being said, a lot to talk about, of course, in the men's hockey world and St. Cloud State and uh, um, a interesting weekend <laughs> in North yeah. Dakota I guess let's just call it that uh women's side of things very successful weekend for them they have uh they have set up their first round matchup in the WCHA playoffs we'll talk about that there's one more regular season game left to be played in the WCHA as a whole and then we will have our seedings getting ready for next weekend Minnesota Wild as well a uh, bit of an average week so to speak just uh, again more more of the same confusion by I our guess. standards <laughs> yeah exactly uh so we'll dive into that and then uh the extra ice session we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline and see if we can rustle up some thoughts there of course the trade de- deadline march 3rd of this year so it certainly is coming up fast in the national hockey league but we start as always with center ice view news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly roundup Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Center Ice View News and Notes, Noah, and uh, it's not too much in terms of news that we have this week. So we start with uh, some news that became official. We alluded to this last week, and that was uh, the NHLPA looking for their replacement for Donald Fear. Looks like they finally do have it again, as we reported last week that they were inkling towards it. It's now official. Marty Walsh has been named now as the new executive director to the NHLPA. Uh, so that was uh, officially announced on Thursday. Um, again, Marty Walsh, uh, the U.S. Secretary of Labor, um, will be taking over for Donald Fear and uh, kind of a critical juncture coming up. Noah, as I know that the CBA uh, due to expire the next couple of uh, couple of years. So. Uh, hopefully no lockouts, uh, but yeah. you know, uh, that's never a guarantee in the NHL. So, uh, congratulations to Marty and joining the NHLPA and which hopefully won't be the biggest dumpster fire in the world. So 
moving on. This is not a dumpster fire. In fact, uh, well, maybe one team is. The other one is certainly pushing all of their chips. And do when we say all of their chips, we do mean every single chip. That is the big trade. Uh, St. Louis Blues uh, trading their captain, um, Ryan O'Reilly, um, and uh, Ford Noel Achari to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, it was a, a team that was looking to make a big splash. Um, so here's what happens. They get... Achari, they also get Ryan O'Reilly, um, a 2023 first round pick, um, going back to St. Louis, a 2024 second round pick, a 2023 third round pick that was originally with Ottawa. They also get forwards Mikhail Abramov and Adam Gaudet. So, but it wasn't done just yet, right, Noah? Because if it wasn't the Maple Leafs who didn't have a lot of cap space, um, <laughs> They needed a third partner in this, and they got one. So what actually happened is the Blues traded the Ryan, o uh, Ryan O'Reilly to Minnesota, retained half of his salary, and then in contrary, Minnesota Wild, after the best stint in Minnesota Wild center history, flipped <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly and then retained an additional 25% of his salary. So uh, how about that, huh? Um now, Minnesota, because of them being kind of the third wheel in this, get a 2025 fourth round pick. And then also the Wild, because you have to trade somebody too, they also gave up a prospect, uh, Josh Pilar, to the Maple Leafs. So kind of a, a multi-layered trade. Um, there's been rumors that the Minnesota Wild may weaponize their cap space. And being at the Wild, they're in a position that there are, and I'm sure we'll dive into the Minnesota Wild aspect a little bit later. Uh, this is a bold move by Kyle Dubas, who, I mean, we've said it for the past couple of off seasons, right, Noah, that uh, was yeah. this was this the last one? You know, was this the, the big push by the Maple Leafs? This is the biggest one we've seen so far. Yeah, they did win, actually, in uh, Ryan O'Reilly's first game as well. Uh, it It's kind of weird from a Wild fan perspective, though, because, you know, you look, I, I think Minnesota, I'm trying to remember what it was. It's like, I think it's 1.2 or $1.4 million that they're retaining in this. Um, right. I, I wonder if there's something behind the scenes that Bill Guerin is kind of stirring up a little bit by doing this move. Because if you look at it on the surface for Minnesota, it doesn't really have a whole lot of advantages. I mean, a fourth round pick is not really... No, anything to shout about. So I, I don't know if this is like a good relationship. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours a little bit later type of thing. I, I wonder where Minnesota fits into this because it, they didn't really gain a whole lot. Like, no. like I feel like in this situation, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll retain 25 percent of your salary. But, oh, you have to give us a second rounder, you know, like something where it's it's an overpay for what you're doing kind of thing, like a fourth, you know, fourth. And fourth rounders to seventh rounders, they hand those out like candy because, you know, the, obviously the big fish are in the first three round, two or three rounds. So um, I, I wonder if there's more to come for Minnesota um, on their standpoint. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I mean, credit, like you mentioned, credit Toronto. They got their man that they were looking for. Uh, Wild certainly probably could have used Ryan O'Reilly in the middle, though, if they could afford him. And Noah, not to cut you off. Yeah, uh, but I, I think if anything, this provides us an indication of where Bill Guerin is at right now, right? And, you know, yeah. he didn't go out and because let's, let's be real. The cap space situation in Minnesota isn't great right now. Granted, uh, this uh, cap hit, I believe, only stays on the Minnesota Wild books just until the end of the season. Yeah. Because uh, uh, Ryan O'Reilly is a true rental again, becoming a UFA, uh, did not really get many contracts 
extension talks in St. Louis. And again, uh, I, I think it was Sportsnet that tweeted out once Ryan O'Reilly was traded and only five current remaining Blues were part of that 2019 Stanley Cup run. They're still on the roster. That's just insane to think about. Um, but you kind of wonder if Bill Guerin's sending a message here because with cap space uh, just so limited and he's essentially taken already, what, one and a half essentially to use uh, as part of being a trade partner, you kind of wonder if if Bill Guerin is thinking that maybe they won't be as buyers. This is an indication of that. We don't know, obviously, but yeah, so uh, it's it is it is strange, right? It is very strange for the Wild to be part of this, and you kind of wonder if there's more behind the scenes and maybe more cooking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or something for for future things. I'm not sure. Not that the NHL works like that. I mean, it's not like Bill Guerin can say, "Oh, yeah, if you do this in a year, we're looking to do this, and you need to be a part of this." Like right. the, tr- the trade was what it was. Uh, projected cap space for Minnesota is 2.9 million dollars. Uh, the Ryan O'Reilly dead cap hit because why don't we add on to uh, the small amount that the Minnesota Wild already have? Of course, uh, the dead cap hit for Ryan O'Reilly is 1.875. Um, right now so just to give folks an idea of minnesota essentially essentially going from about 5 million 4.8 million in cap space to uh, about 2.9 million dollars in projected cap space right now so i uh, keep an eye on that one obviously uh moving over to only a couple more topics here we're going to start actually with one that's not on nick's sheet here but uh um had to add it in paul gerard uh died at the University of Omaha um, this past Thursday. He was 57 years old. Uh, Of course, one of the things that's most interesting in his coaching tenure, one of the few black assistant coaches in the NHL, there's only two current ones right now, so kind of paving the way there. Um, uh, You know, Winnipeg native, Lake Superior State standout in the early 1980s, um, had uh, 113, I believe, points in 156 games 14 year nhl or an ahl professional career uh cup of coffee with the minnesota north stars played a lot in the ahl hershey bears colorado rangers kalamazoo albany milwaukee as well i uh, won a calder cup in his last year in 96 97 and played almost uh, 700 professional games so obviously a very uh difficult um, news, especially in the NCHT world, he'd been at the University of Nebraska Omaha since 2018 and quietly kind of dealing with uh, cancer as well, too. So uh, really one of his highlights is his ability to develop uh, you know, players and really connect with them on that level and really work on that development process. And you think about a program like the Mavericks have there. I mean, that's kind of what you're looking for is, you know, they kind of remind me of St. Cloud a little bit where they take these guys that maybe are not these high-end blue chip prospects and they turn them into into that where they're able to develop by the end of their collegiate career so obviously a very difficult time uh for the maverick community of course his wife cheryl two daughters catherine and megan uh both uh survived for paul there so yeah difficult news um for the hockey world i mean um yeah, it, it, just really tough. I, I I think, you know, obviously he, he spent a couple seasons in the NHL with Calgary and Dallas, one with the Colorado Avalanche too. So a lot of coaching experience, just overall a very great human, uh, what he brought to the table, I think, for a lot of young collegiate hockey players bringing that experience and heard nothing but good things. So wishing his family obviously the best. Anything you wanted to add there, Nick? You know, it's, it's, it's such a tragedy, uh, you know, when we hear stories like this and again, uh, reading the reports, you know, you, you got the sense, you know, when you mentioned the word quietly, right. Uh, you know, there, there are certain 
folks what you know when they go through these things they you know they kind of share this thing publicly and you know that's kind of the way that they cope and, and you know from what we know that wasn't this the way he wanted to handle this right um he essentially kind of brushed it off and i don't mean that in a you know a direct translation type deal but in sort of like hey okay i'm doing this but i'm, I'm not going to make this a focal point of my everyday life it'll be fine you know he was a positive human being um and when the news broke uh certainly you know the hockey world uh he's, he's well known well versed uh one of the nicest human beings that was out there. And as you mentioned, kind of a trailblazer in terms of uh, black uh, coaches in the NHL um, and around hockey. Right. So uh, tough. Um, obviously, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, his family, Nebraska, Omaha and everybody that uh, who knew him. Uh, just a uh, tough news. Uh, just way too young, way too sad. Yeah, definitely. Uh, wishing uh, everybody around that program, obviously dealing without the best. Uh, it's also a tough transition, obviously, for Omaha to have to move on from that so quickly. They had Miami last weekend, and of course, we'll get to that later on in the show. Uh, uh, in other news, uh, Alex Ovechkin's father, Mikhail, uh, died at the age of 71 this past week. He posted that on social media, so wishing uh, the great eight the best there out there in Washington, D.C. Kind of a tough little thing. He had to take some personal leave as well, too. So uh, just kind of an interesting note there. Uh, second to last topic, two signings here that we had. Mikey Anderson, the LA Kings, an eight-year deal. $4.125 million average annual value. He's 23, uh, 13 points in the back end and 55 games played. He's on that top pairing with Drew Doughty. So uh, has certainly made it work. Uh, and then Olimata of the Red Wings, a very serviceable defenseman, two years, three million average annual value, a guy that just continues to steadily earn contracts as he goes through his career, 28 years of age. Uh, and then on the injury side, we only have one actually stemming from last week. Ottawa, netminder Anton Forsberg, now out two to three months with bilateral MCL tears. And welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 150 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for another week in the den. It's uh, um, We expected this show was going to release on Tuesday, and then my clinical schedule changed, and we are now here at 8.15 in the morning on a Sunday, and I'm actually headed to work after this. So um, it's going to be an interesting day, of course. Um, yeah, I'm, in, I'm in the ER in the hospital, so uh, it's been... Uh, interesting couple of days obviously got a couple more left and didn't expect that we were going to have released this early so it's kind of nice to have uh, that come out um, I'm hoping this is going to come out on Sunday um, on the day that we're recording it but uh, you never really know how long some of these things take so at worst we're going to come out uh, Monday morning so whenever you're hearing this welcome welcome to the den here uh, Nick anything interesting this weekend obviously you're feeling a little bit under the weather so I mean it's not <laughs> not the greatest but no um I think the big thing for for me is, um, uh, as we we talked about earlier, I think just now that we've got two big trades, uh, the one thing I'm watching in the NHL is, you know, now that O'Reilly's off the board and Tarasenko's off the board, uh, next big vicious Timo Meyer, right? Yeah. Um, see what he ends up leave, you know, where he ends up going. Um, you can throw the Maple Leafs off that list now. So it appears to be what uh, the Devils seems to be the front runner that got the assets and everything else to land him. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm curious. I'm also curious to see if the Sharks move Eric Carlson, although that is a long shot just based on his contract structure and however, th however everybody's up against the cap. And yeah. uh, uh, 
I don't know. And how about the the Bally stuff too, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, and you know, I talked about this with uh, a couple folks this week, and you know, the big fears of blackouts and here and there, and I don't know what the solution is going to be. No, I know that we've talked about it in the past, but I think my big fear is for the NHL that is the NHL is already so fragile as it is right now. And you, you take away Bally's and, you know, some of their broadcast uh, rights payments out of the way. This could have cap implications as, as early as next year. I mean, heck, I mean, they, they were thinking what, maybe just a million and now could it be a flat cap again? I mean, <laughs> right. I, I laugh. It's no laughing matter, but you know, in a, in a juncture where the wild could use any bit of money they could get, um, that's now could be in serious jeopardy and uh, even more. So you kind of wonder what next year will look like in terms of where people can watch the games. So it's, it's, an, it's been an interesting week to say that much. Um, I'm curious for your Noah though, because since you asked me with clinicals coming up for you and your schedule is going to get pretty nuts, uh, yeah. You know, you're 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 getting close to the end of your run. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, how does that feel? Yeah, no, it's been interesting, um, to say the least. I, I think I'll anytime Western of you, oh, it's been interesting. Yeah, well, <laughs> coming coming out in an ER for a couple of days, you'll learn what the definition of interesting is, um, for I've sure. Spent plenty of time in the hospitals myself, unfortunately. So yeah, <laughs> you know, idea, unfortunately. You know, I actually the the first day I was there on. What day is it now? I don't even see. This is the hard part about nursing. You don't even know what day it is. I funny. My girlfriend is a school teacher and I texted her yesterday. And for those keeping up yesterday was Saturday. Um, I texted her, you know, and I was like, I was like, have a great day at work. And she's like, no, it's, it's Saturday. I don't work. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what day it is. Um, but the first day I was there, which I believe was a Friday. Um, yeah, I definitely, I got hit in the face like three times. That was great. Uh, so, um, I had to, uh, we had to had to get a gal in a vehicle and, uh, you know, can present challenges when said vehicle is very high and said person needs to be boosted into the vehicle and they're not happy about said situation. So, yeah. Um, but as far as the as far as the overall journey, uh, it's been all right. It's been kind of an awkward um, final semester in the sense that every decision that you make is a big one. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to get things set up to actually have a job. You're trying to get things set up for your living situation. You're trying to obviously finish school. You're getting ready for your board. So it's an exciting time, but at the same time that like just a lot of, a lot of transitions into the next chapter while also making sure you close the current chapter and finishing those things up. So it's kind of a weird little balance. I think um, that's um, as we say in the Midwest, a little interesting. Uh, so, but other than that, it's been all right. Um, as far as scheduling is concerned, we should have a normal show next week. And then the week after, um, we're definitely going to have some alterations, not only with my schedule, but your schedule as well, too. So we're definitely going to have a later release on that one. There's not going to be any Sunday surprises. I don't think for that one, we're going to be uh, pretty uptight against it, just like the wild are with the, the salary cap for sure. So uh, we'll keep you up to date. I'm assuming after that, things might level out as we approach uh, the postseason action here. We'll obviously do a tournament deep dive before the tournament happens at some point, probably not next week, maybe the week after, because we'll have a clearer picture of where we're going to be at tournaments, those sorts of things. So, um, but yeah, excited for everything that's coming down the pipeline here, I think with that. And then of course the NAHL, you and I both know everything heating up in that conference as well too. So uh, yeah, a lot to look forward to and really excited for it. Why don't we start uh, with the college hockey world and CAA here? Um, some games that 
maybe a little bit of a surprise. We'll have to see. Michigan, Ohio State, Thursday, Saturday here. OSU technically a sweep. I mean, it was 4-3 in a shootout the first night, 4-2 on Saturday night. So a good little weekend for OSU. Uh, Minnesota, Penn State, Gophers sweeping 7-2 and then 3-2 in overtime. And this one, Michigan State, Wisconsin, pair of 6-2 scores. The Spartans in night number one, Wisconsin in night number two. A big win for them as Notre Dame was off this weekend. Are, are we surprised that the Badgers did this now? I mean, how do we how do we feel about Wisconsin this week? You know, they <laughs> uh, a little bit, but you know, you kind of get the sense too, Noah, that I, I think uh, for those who listen to uh, the Lattice MNCAA with me, myself, and Ben Holden, uh, there's no secret that, uh, and I think the expectation is going to be a change at Wisconsin. Um, now, granted, we don't know that to be the case for sure. Uh, but it's been tough, right? And and you look at some, you know, the pipeline they got coming up, and let's just say that compared to the other Big Ten schools, it's anemic at best. Uh, so uh, I, I think there's a little bit of motivation there. Uh, you know, granted, you know they had a very slow start, and, and I think maybe that's tainting our vision of them a little bit too. Uh, but they've given you know a lot of teams fits. You know, since what probably the mid, you know, just before the the holiday break, yeah. they start to be figured out a little bit. They might be a dangerous out come tournament time. Actually, they, they might be actually. <laughs> uh, so you you can't can't. We've how many times have we said this? Right, you cannot count a single team in college hockey out of the picture until you put them to sleep, and it's you know the end of the third period. So uh, it shouldn't surprise me. Um, I think it just maybe it is a little bit just because again they the, their wins are. And they're they're just so lopsided, right? They're just there's no really true book on who this Wisconsin team is. That they're one team on a Friday, then the next team, you know, next night on a Saturday, they're a completely different team, uh, you know, whether it's success or not. So I guess it shouldn't surprise us. But Ohio State's a pretty good squad, so maybe this is a little bit of a surprise. But I don't. I'm done being surprised anymore. Yeah. Chaos. <laughs> what a, what a description. A little bit anemic. I'd say that argument is a little thin. But um, sh- um. Yeah, red blood cell jokes you're, you're in the Huskies Warming House podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move over and uh, you know cauterize this. Uh, ECHA 2.0, Ferris State, Northern Michigan. This one wasn't even close. Speaking of trying to stop the bleeding here, yeah, uh, the nine two and eight three. I mean, I know Ferris State is not the strongest team, but the Wildcats decided they wanted to play hockey again. Um, I'm not sure if there was some yeah. sort of injury or net minor thing, any, anything behind the scenes. I didn't really do a deep dive here, um, but yeah, Northern Michigan sweet for them. Uh, Mankato, Bemidji state. This was a split Mankato four one the first night, Bemidji state two one in overtime. Good little victory for the Beavers there. This one was, I believe at the Sanford center this weekend. So it was a, it wasn't a home and home. I think uh, I know Saturdays or one of the days was, Pretty sure that, it was home and home, but I'll double check that. De- definitely at the Sanford Center. Tanch, can't you tell that we're obviously extremely prepared here? This is what we this is what we do. For those who are are following along, by the way, um, the Huskies game. Oh, um, both at both at Sanford. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, for those following along, by the way, we'll get we'll get to this. Um, we've seen bits and pieces of the Huskies game. We did not watch them in full ourselves, just based on our schedule. I think we're going to kind of encapsulate that a little bit more as we go on into next week as well, too. So we apologize for that, but we're going to do our best. Um, Box scores can tell you quite a bit about what happens, so it doesn't exactly, um, you know, 
not shed light on what we know. Uh, as far as ECAC stuff, Quinnipiac, Harvard, Harvard, and Quinnipiac all getting the wins they needed against Yale, Union, RPI, and Brown. The only surprise, Cornell actually losing 4-3 to Clarkson on Friday yep. night. So that's a tough one for Cornell, obviously, hanging around that, you know, 10 to 20 spot uh, in the pairwise right now. So that's a tough loss for them. Hockey East, Maine, UMass Lowell. This was from last week, UMass Lowell winning in a shootout. And then uh, BU uh, losing to Merrimack 4-1 and 4-3 in overtime. So a couple of good wins for Merrimack. Um, still do not know what their mascot is. I should probably look that up. Uh, and Maine, uh, New Hampshire, New Hampshire winning in a shootout up both times 3-2 the first night and then how about this if you paid good money to watch this hockey game one nothing in a shootout the wildcats beat uh the black bears in maine umass lowell and providence providence getting the first night in overtime umass lowell in regulation night number two umass and bcbc it was a sweep for them outscoring umass uh 10 to 4 on the weekend and northeastern played just on saturday against vermont winning three to nothing of course going back to monday the bean pot, this phase number two, uh, completed this past week. BU losing to Boston College four to two, and Northeastern and Harvard played to a two to two tie. So uh, that is the bean pot all wrapped up and done. Atlantic hockey has some intrigue as we move into next week here, but AIC sweeping Air Force, a pair of one goal victories. That's important for them to stay pat where they're at. And Bentley and RIT, actually, Bentley winning the second night two one after losing four nothing. So Bentley has disrupted i'm curious to see how they look in their conference tournament i mean they are not out of it by any means they've not had a great season conference wise but they are not out of it um, i don't know that anybody in atlantic hockey is really out of it or in it for that so to, for really for that to say it, it's everything to play for there but um certainly a little more interesting i think than in years past where we could say oh yeah aic was the definitive shoe in there's about five or six teams that have a chance to punch their ticket so to speak uh independent wise lindenwood arizona state asu winning eight two and five three and then long island traveling to alaska uh alaska fairbanks winning three to two on that first night yesterday when i looked fairbanks was up by one uh heading into the third period and it was six three was the final last night uh for fairbanks of course fairbanks will have uh, we'll move on this week as we preview. They will have Arizona State at Arizona State. So they are traveling all the way down south uh, from Alaska there to get ready for their matchup. So what is on tap here? Other independent games. Anchorage, actually, they're back They're back on the East Coast again, Nick. Um, they are. They are headed to Yukon on Thursday, and then they play Long Island on Saturday. So they are they are back on an airplane again. And then on Friday, the U.S. under 18s plays Lindenwood. So there's your independent non-conference games. Uh, as far as Big Ten, uh, Michigan State is off, so that means Wisconsin travels to Penn State, Notre Dame travels to Michigan, and Ohio State travels to Minnesota. That'll be an interesting game uh, for the Gophers there. CCHA 2.0, Northern Michigan's at Bowling Green, Lake Superior at Ferris, Michigan Tech at Mankato. Very curious for that matchup as well, too. And then Bemidji at St. Thomas. Let's see if the Tommies can uh, make a little bit of noise against Bemidji State. ECAC action, we've got a Three Friday games, three Saturday games. Of course, it's basically the, the pairwise watch, so to speak. Cornell has Brown. Quinnipiac has Union. Harvard has St. Lawrence. So obviously any of those losses would be tough. And then Cornell has Yale. Quinnipiac has RPI. Harvard again with Clarkson. So, or, well, again, obviously they played before. But uh, Clarkson, of course, disrupting Cornell last weekend. So seeing if 
any of those losses pop up on the other side of the expected column. Hockey East, um, Boston University travels to Vermont. Northeastern, home and home against UMass. Merrimack at UMass Lowell. And a Saturday game for UNH versus UConn. So things obviously heating up in Hockey East. And then Atlantic Hockey. Air Force has RIT and AIC has Sacred Heart on Saturday only. So those are a couple of big games standings-wise in Atlantic Hockey. So... Um, anything you wanted to add about NCAA men's? I mean, I know we kind of cruised through that, but we're at that point where we've got, we are, if I can remember right, I always write down for the show, we are in week 22 of the college hockey season. So I believe we've got two more weeks. I think we have 24 or 25 weeks before we hit tournament time. So correct. Um, yeah, really watching the CCHA, I, I think for me in terms of, you know, the, the race to the top there, um, seeing, uh, again kind of watching Bemidji State see what they do a little bit just because we've seen them have these really interesting late pushes come tournament time uh just you know making sure that you know when you are in the championship game that you score legally not underneath that sorry you know uh (laughs) but uh and, and also you know just how these other shape up right because you know you you kind of have to have your solid footing for any of these squads before the tournaments come start because i mean you're, you're not going to move the needle super bad unless you know you're you lose to a really inferior opponent I mean, even then if you're in that top 10 come tournament time you're, you're likely staying pat for the most part so uh, next couple of weeks are going to be huge in terms of uh, where we see in the pairwise and more importantly you Noah, know, um just momentum right and you know, how are you playing the right way how you know are you trending upwards as a hockey club because that's really really the important thing. Um, Paralyze can mean nothing if you're trending the wrong direction. And um, I think we may have a, uh, a topic on that for our, our hometown squad. Yes, I nailed it, didn't I? Yeah, that was a good transition. Uh, was, I, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to move over to the NCHC here. Yeah. St. Cloud, interesting weekend. Um, and pairwise wise, uh, common opponents, certainly helping the Huskies. Uh, yeah. And, and previous results uh, from the past weekend as well. Well, we start with Omaha. Like we mentioned, they were at Miami three to one and three to two in overtime. The Mavericks win. Like I said, this, I know we're going to talk about the Huskies, you know, and their struggles as of late, but the NCHC has gotten more and more competitive each weekend. I think that has to be said. Like it's not, it's not like, you know, St. Cloud has necessarily fallen off a cliff, you know, like these other teams that are at the bottom, which again, when North Dakota was at seven, that's an interesting way to say at the bottom, that tells you the type of year we're having. Um, But, you know, all these teams can play, (laughs) you know, on any given (laughs) night and, and certainly is showing the second half of the season CC at Western Michigan, the Broncos, a pair of victories four one and two to one St. Cloud probably could have used one of those from the Tigers to really boost them back up Duluth traveling to Denver. It was a split in this one. DU six to two in the first night, six, five, the Bulldogs win in night number two. So uh, I guess if it's a, if it's a barn burner, so to speak, Duluth is all over it. And then St. Cloud uh, losing four to three in overtime in night number one at Ralph Engelstead, three to two in a shootout. The Huskies win yesterday, officially a tie as far as the pairwise is concerned. Of course, the extra points beneficial for NCHC standings here. Um, yeah, we'll dive into it here. Attendance 11,486 in the first night when North Dakota won in overtime. A uh, lot of special teams here. In fact, only. Uh, 
only one goal at quote unquote even strength, and it was the overtime three on three goal here. Kind of a wild night, actually, all things considered. Uh, North Dakota and St. Cloud trading power play goals in the first period. Yami Kranala 17th from Jack Peart and Zach Okabe. Kranala on the board again in period number two on the power play um, from Okabe and Spencer Meyer. So Huskies actually up 3 1 at one point in this game. Three power play goes. Goals, Joey Molinar, only his second of the season from Aiden Spellacy and Josh Litke. That's not a power play statistic you necessarily mark down. Uh, so the Huskies actually going three for seven on the man advantage. North Dakota two for four as they get one back from Jake Schmaltz uh, about a minute later to make it three to two. And then with the extra attacker, Reese Gaber ties this game up and then gets the game winner a minute 26 in overtime. Jackson Blake, Ethan Frisch, uh, the assist there. Huskies out shooting North Dakota 25-24. Not a great weekend overall in the faceoff dot for St. No. Cloud, 42.2%, uh, 27 for 64 on the first night. Dominic Bassey in 8-3-3, stopping 20 of 24. Drew DeRitter stopping 22 of 25 for an 8-80, so not exactly a goaltender soiree either, so to speak. I mean, pr- a pretty, I was going to say a messy hockey game. That's not really the right description, but in the sense that, there are some games that maybe are a little more like fast and loose, uh, you know, than other contests. And this kind of had everything. I mean, v- very special teams oriented here. St. Cloud, their power play continues to roll. Their penalty kill continues to struggle, at least in night number one. Uh, three to two shootout victory for the Huskies. Attendance 11 7 51. Um, that's a pretty good crowd, <laughs> of course, up there in North Dakota. Shots 30 to 13 in favor of North Dakota in the second night. So you wouldn't have, you know, if, if you had to guess which score correlated with which shot value, it, you know, seems a little bit backwards, but nonetheless, credit the uh, goaltending here of Jackson Caster. And for some reason, I updated this yesterday, um, but my sheet did not update. Jackson Caster, um, I believe he stopped 28 of 30, which was like a 920 or something. I'm guessing you have it. Do you have it in your notes still, Nick? Does it still yeah. pop up for you? What yes. do you have for the for the net mining statistics here? Uh, 28 for 30 for Caster, 933 in DeRitter, um, 11 of 13 for 846. Thank you. Yeah, for some reason. And then the faceoff percentage did stay here. So I do have 23 for 57, 40.4% for the Huskies. Not great being outshot as well. We got started North Dakota on uh, on the board first. So again, another trend for the Huskies that's not great. They've given up the first goal quite a bit as of recent. Spencer Meyer on the power play gets one back uh, less than a minute left in period number one. His third of the season from Zach Copy Jack Peart, and then Yami Kranala, boy, does he continue to roll his 19th of the season. Even strength from Vietti Mietnin and Micah Miller just 18 seconds into the second period. North Dakota, third period on the power play. Uh, one for three on the man advantage. Huskies scoring on their lone power play opportunity. Um, and then we went to the shootout, and the only goal scorer in the third round uh, in regulation slash sudden death grant crookshank making his opportunity to give the huskies crucial points in the nchc of course as we look at the nchc the huskies now sitting i i don't want to say a no man's land but sitting in fourth right now i mean it's really been a sort of fall from grace here omaha and western michigan both ahead of them at 39 points compared to 36 for the huskies so st cloud at least one win and probably some tiebreaker stuff away from trying to climb back up to second denver uh, I don't think is going to be caught. Uh, at least no. uh, they've got 44 points right now. Uh, Minnesota Duluth at fifth with 26 points. North Dakota with 24. CC with 23. And Miami, of course, at nine. So 
looking back on this weekend, obviously defensive play has not been great. And like I said, we didn't watch the games, ex- not didn't watch it extensively, but I think, you know, I know, I know that we, we take a lot of time to really kind of dispel the panic button, uh, in, you know, on this show and really talk about, you know, trends and that sort of things, teams that are slumping because certainly it happens here. I, uh, you know, St. Cloud to their credit, um, has done well getting games to the extra session and pulling out points, especially a lot of shootout points um, in recent. So that's one of the things that is a positive because if you're losing games, just ask, you know, the Boston Bruins, the Dallas stars, the national hockey league, you look at their losses. A lot of them are in the extra frame. So they're picking up points uh, as far as that's concerned. And obviously I think it, I believe the overtime finishes also off alter the pairwise a little bit too, as far as that matchup as well too. So of course, don't forget St. Cloud sweeping North Dakota earlier in the season. So as far as the pairwise battle, I believe St. Cloud actually wins this one. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, and actually, by a decent little tilt. So a little bit of damage control this weekend. St. Cloud somehow, I, I'm not really sure how, has moved up this weekend to five. BU um, fell. That was that was the big one. Yeah. Um, they've lost four straight, actually have the Terriers. But you know, you you look at this this penalty kill whoa. You look at the shot total on Saturday. You know, I think we're at that point here, Nick, as we approach the late portions of February, only four games to to go, of course, on the road against Omaha next week and then finishing at home against Minnesota Duluth. We talked about how the last eight to ten games of this schedule had a chance to prove a little bit devastating for this Huskies program, maybe not so much in the pairwise, but NCHC here. Um, This team has really dropped the ball lately, and I think we're I think we're moving towards that now. They haven't been blown out of hockey games, which I think is a positive because you've one, you've got to make the big dance, and two, you've got to be at least in hockey games. Like, like I'd be more terrified if they're losing seven two, right? Um, but they are losing. They they have not really had a good weekend where they've strung two games together where they've won handily or won in regulation. Um, you know, people keep on social media keep pointing to the loss of Dylan Anhorn, which I certainly. It probably has had a bigger impact than we'd like to admit, unfortunately, um, solidifying the back end. But it, it it can't be just one guy or it can't be just the penalty kill, although it's been really porous as of late. Um, I, I don't even think it's the goaltending because they're not getting a whole lot of help. But, you know, no. they haven't they haven't been they haven't made that extra save that they were making in the first half either. What is going on with St. Cloud right now at probably one of the worst times? It is a, a a calamity or a comedy of errors, you could say, right? Um, first, yeah, uh, I actually had a chance to talk with Gino Parrish last week about this. Uh, uh, and he said it, and I think it's okay for us to say it now, Noah, because we've seen it now for three straight weekends of Husky hockey. They just do not look the same with Anhorn not back there. And there's a couple of reasons for that, right? Uh, one, they're getting pinned in their own zone more. Uh, you got Bushy playing on the top pairing with Josh Lidke, which you know, I'm sure if you would ask Brett Larson off the record and there, that's probably not the the tandem he would like as his first pairing. Um, also, too, Grant Crookshank has essentially disappeared from the score sheet, right? He was essentially yeah. carrying this Husky squad um, through essentially January. He's been very, very quiet on the score sheet. Um, and the three you kind of touched a little bit, uh, goaltending hasn't been bad per se, but they haven't, you know, shall we say stolen a game yet. And this Husky team just can't simply hold a lead either. They were up three, one on Friday, um, you know, up two one on Saturday. Uh, they're just not putting teams away. 
Um, yeah. So you put all of this together in a puzzle. And this isn't just one weekend now, right? No, we said three weeks ago, okay, this is this is not great after Anhorn went down. Let's see how they respond, right? And then next weekend, they're kind of the same. They're 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 not bad. Like I said, they're in hockey games, but they're they're just not right. You can tell there's a missing gear there. And this weekend is the exact same with North Dakota, right? In fact, if you were to ask, I think anybody in the Huskies, they they left some on the table again up three one on Friday. You have to be able to finish off North Dakota, which has had their struggles this year. Um, so again, credit to the Fighting Hawks; they're not going down without a fight. They can still score. Uh, you know when when they you know things are clicking for them. So it, it's not a pretty picture. And this goes back to the point before we talked about the Huskies, right? You know what that is? Yeah, they move up in the pairwise, but it doesn't mean Jack. You know what? If yeah you can't get to the to the dance and not play well. So I think it is fair to say that there's some panic here. And I think it's actually a warranted panic right now. Uh, it, it's, they got essentially two weeks to figure it out. They're, they're going to be going up against the team right above them in the NCHC standings in Omaha on the road. This is, this is probably the most pivotal weekend of the season coming up where you have to feel like you're doing something better to go home and you have who has been the ultimate disruptor the last couple of weeks in Minnesota Duluth as we, they just, they, they just never cease to amaze us how they just, no matter how things are going, that it just clicks for them at some point during this time of the year. So um, it, you mentioned the schedule. I'm not sure that the schedule itself, because you know, you, you can't, you, you can't write where these teams are at, you know, beginning of the season or, or even halfway, you can only yeah. control how you're playing. Uh, and right now, St. Cloud is, is continually shot them in the foot. Again, Saturday, um, you lose Josh Lidke just a couple minutes of the game with a um, a very, I would say, a, 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 a kind of a wishy-washy five-minute major. I get it, but yeah, okay, here and there. But again, you're not you're not helping yourself, right? You're not you're not getting yourself a chance to be in the best position to win a hockey game. So there's a lot of there's there's definitely some conversation for concern um i'm curious as to if you see the same thing that i'm seeing um or you're you're on the same level as there's there's some legitimate concern here yeah um we're we're at about like you said three weeks to a month where we've had the same concern i think now really i wanted to see if this team could rest and come back you know and kind of rewrite the ship here and they didn't really do that this weekend they didn't hurt themselves this weekend which i think is becoming a theme where it has been a bit of damage control, and St. Cloud has put themselves in a decent spot. But similar to last year, they're kind of pushing themselves into a spot they don't really want to be in right now. Correct. St. Cloud would be at home against Minnesota Duluth to start the first round of the NCHC playoffs. Not that that's worked out well in previous years. <laughs> um, I, I It's interesting you mentioned Grant Crochet. So I, I pulled up his uh, game splits. In the first 23 games of the season, he did not have a point in five of them, one of them being the opener against St. Thomas. In his last seven, he has one point and has not had a point in his last five. He had one point in January 27th against Duluth, did not have a point the Saturday prior against Denver, and has not had a point against that other game in Duluth, against Miami, and against North Dakota. He has been absolutely quiet versus he was good for at least a point or two, if not more, every weekend. So um, it's very interesting to kind of kind of look at that split as well, too. And mind um, you, not to cut you off, but a lot of his points, who were they coming from? 
Dylan Anhorn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and especially on that special teams piece too. And you look at guys, Zach Okabe, Yami Kernela have obviously been right, bright spots here that have kind of tried to keep the train rolling here, but you can't rely on one or two guys. You've got to have scoring throughout that lineup. No, this team is struggling right now. Um, I, it, and it, it is concerning. And, you know, you look at, you, you know, what St. Cloud has coming up here. Uh, I was trying to look at, trying to look at their schedule here i thought they maybe this is marked wrong um yeah they've got omaha coming up so i'm not really yeah, sure omaha. oh this these are these are anhorn splits no wonder i was i saw miami right before the last game i was like yeah that's not right we just played miami anyway um yeah no this team is really struggling here i also um if we want to sit here and add more salt in the wound before we continue to roll on the huskies here because why don't we just you know pour it yeah, in and big, dig, right? dig our finger in we had a bet last week. Um, yep, we <laughs> a Super Bowl bet. I, okay, I gotta ask first. Are you calling that holding call? Like, no. Okay, no, I, I'm not. No, and, and I'm not saying it wasn't holding because by definition, it definitely was. I thought it was funny. I mean, I kind of talked about this on Twitter a little bit. It it likens me to the same concept of you know if you have a tie hockey game under five minutes left in the third or overtime the whistles kind of disappear kind of thing they do um and I thought you know maybe you could have let that one go the the ball was badly overthrown but nonetheless I mean I know that doesn't make a difference regardless of what the play ends up being but kind of an unfortunate end to what otherwise was a really good game I think you know obviously Kansas City will take it but I think you want to win that game you know, in dramatic fashion in a, you know, at a tightly contested, you make a great defensive stop after you score because they have time on the clock kind of thing. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it was a great hot or great, hockey, great football game. Um, all things considered, I don't think either of us anticipated it was going to be that high scoring. I mean, was it as entertaining as it was a good game? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, ball was overthrown. Uh, so my judgment is when you actually looked at the replay again, by definition, is it a hold? Sure. Now, did he actually impede his progress? Did he actually throw him off his route as much to warrant a flag? I don't know. I, I just, and I think for the way the game was called, that was a ticky tacky, bad timing, uh, yeah. pick, you know, a spot to pick to throw a flag. Uh, now, again, you know, the officials, no matter what, if, if he throws the flag or not, you know, He's going to he's going to hear the negative Nancy's about it. But in that particular situation, no, and I think this for hockey fans too, right, we're we're so used to, uh, I guess, you know, because the playoffs, I mean, there's what does get called, right? It's just like you could almost like axe chop a guy. Yeah. Like, and, oh, no, that's, that's a hockey play. And it felt it, a little bit late. But I, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, it's just hard because, you yeah. know, that you know that it was the game altering. It was, you know, uh, play. So um if uh, if that isn't called, it's an incomplete pass. But what, what was it, about a minute and a half left on the clock? Yeah, you you probably have about. And they and they have two timeouts too. Remember yeah. after after that call, uh, you know they go down. They actually you know intentionally give themselves up before the goal line. They force them to use their two timeouts, and then by the time they get the ball back on a squib kick, it's what five seconds left. Yeah, um, you know so. That's tough, right? So you, you think even with that, you get about a maybe a minute and a quarter at the worst case, 60 seconds if they run the clock down. Uh, you've got two timeouts, you know, so that changes the entire complexity of the last little bit of that game. So it's it's yeah. tough. I'm with you. I, I don't know. Did, would you have thrown the flag? I, I get the sense you probably wouldn't have thrown it. Yeah, just uh, because just because I don't really like I said, I'm I know that 
in football, it's a little bit different, but like, I didn't think it had a whole lot of bearing on the play. I feel like, you know, it's the same in hockey. You have some of these interference pick plays when you get into like extra sessions and down to the wire that, you know, obviously don't get called to, but nonetheless, it was, it was Noah. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless though, it was a great, it was a great football game and I'll certainly eat the words that I said. Of course I had the Eagles. Um, they did not win the football game. And why are we talking about this in the middle of St. Cloud stuff? Because, Per the parameters, um, I've got about a minute to talk about a program called North Dakota and specifically their fan base. So why don't we jump right into it here, Nick? Um, You know, one of the things about North Dakota and their fan base, I mean, you look at the class that this fan base brings to this program. Okay, I mean, they are just, you know, you go to a game at Ralph Ingolstead. They're calm. They're cool. Collect. I mean, you will not meet a North Dakota fan that has any animosity. I mean, like they're rational thinkers, you know what they bring to the table as far as being elite hockey minds. I mean, it's second to none. I mean, you just look at, you know, like, like I've never met a North Dakota fan that said anything at a hockey game that I've been like, wow, like, like I, I like I can't stand this person that, you know, like they're really good, you know, like they don't push people off balconies and stairs like they're amazing. Um, and honestly, um, to be fair, though, <laughs> in all actuality, they do travel really, really well. And they do bring a lot of energy to this North Dakota program. But uh, um, North Dakota certainly uh, likes to have a lot of fan engagement here, um, even if they maybe can't you know, name anybody that actually plays for their team. But nonetheless, um, with that being said, I, I did that once. I, I had a couple of friends who were North Dakota fans, and I asked them, I said, I said, can you name five players on the team this year? And they you know, they get one or two, obviously, and they know the goalie, they know the leading scorer, and yeah, wasn't too pretty beyond that. But nonetheless, um, now that we've gotten through that garbage, don't ever make me do that again, even though it was my idea. Um, St. <laughs> Cloud State, obviously struggling, needing some crucial points this upcoming weekend here. North Dakota's at Colorado College. Um, I don't know if their fans will travel for that one, but they should. Ed Robeson has been bumping this year. Um, Denver travels to Western Michigan. That's if you're a Huskies fan, I think at this That's point you hope watch. you hope that you hope that Denver sweeps that one. Uh, Miami's headed to Duluth, and St. Cloud will travel to Baxter Arena to Omaha. The only time the Huskies are on the road for more than two games in a row, as far as the regular season is concerned. Here, if you're St. Cloud, you have your own destiny in your hands here because of the fact yeah. that you have the team right above you in the standings. What do you expect from St. Cloud? What needs to change here? Like uh, I. I don't know that the goaltending has been great for St. Cloud, but I'm not going to say it has been poor because I feel like, uh, especially with Jackson Castor uh, last weekend, Dominic Bassey the weekend bo- before against Miami, whenever that was, holding this team in hockey games sometimes, they got to play much better in front of their netminders. The top line has been largely okay, but other than that, the scoring has kind of actually, it's been the top line, actually the fourth line, like Joey Molinar, Aiden Spellacy, those guys are, have been on the board more often than not as of recent. So that's a, that's a good sign. Other than that, what do the Huskies have to do to not only stop the bleeding, but like inflict it on the other side? Uh, I got to play with some desperation. Not that they haven't been right, but I think now you need that extra gear. You need that extra push. Uh, and, and more importantly, you just need to be smarter, smarter with the puck in your own end. Uh, you need to be smarter on the rush. Uh, you know, there's, you know, like I said, we didn't catch the entire game, but I, I caught uh, some of those extended highlights. And the one thing I've noticed, Noah, about uh, this team and how different it is with Dylan Anhorn, right? Or actually, without Dylan Anhorn, I should say, for those who know English, uh, they just simply aren't as confident 
possessing the puck, mm-hmm. skating it out of their zone. Uh, there's a lot of off the glass and out. So a lot of, you know, re- you know, pressure relief type situations, which, you know, here and there is not the worst thing in the world. You actually, you know, when in doubt, get it out. That's fine. But it can't be your go to default setting right um yeah. and also at times when you know the puck gets towards the crease there's a lot of scrambling that the the huskies are, are losing their structure quite a bit and, and a lot quicker than they should so uh they just they just need to be more confident in their positioning defensively and if they're able to maintain that again as you and i both know that transitions to better breakouts that transitions to hockey and, and the puck moving north to the other way so they just need to have a cleaner game that's really what it is. Uh, and it starts in their own end. Uh, Brett Larson will be the first person to tell you that's his focus is, you know, defense first and then moving the puck the other way because that, you know, feeds into the offense. And they just haven't been as clean that way. And granted, I know it's tough. Uh, Anhorn was such a driver uh, of possession, not only carrying the puck out of the zone, but then also uh, being involved in the fort check too. Um, he was so dynamic and, and such a great 200-foot player. And with the defensive pairings being juggled as it is, and, and I'm not one to pick on players, but Brandon Bushy is, you know, not your prototypical first line pairing. He just isn't. Yeah. Uh, Jack Peard has probably, if we're going to be honest with you, I don't think he's taken the steps that we expected him to take this season, or else uh, I think Larson would have kept that pairing of Lidke and Peart, like she, which he kind of did towards the end of last season. Um, so it's been tough, uh, but it really starts on their own end, and they've got to play. Um, more desperate hockey, I think, because otherwise if they don't and they continue this on for what the fourth or fifth straight weekend where they're in hockey games are hanging around, but they're not really taking control and holding it. That is a trend that is not going to get you past even the first round of the NCAA. That's what I see. I'm curious as to your thoughts on what you see. Yeah, this Omaha team is certainly going to present a challenge here. I mean, they are. We had this group finishing seventh in the NCHC. I think we're highly, highly surprised, obviously, with everything that's been going on. We also said North Dakota was going to fix uh, finish first because so basically will throw that entire prediction thing out, out the window, huh? Yeah, not that that ever happens, right? Uh, you look at Omaha, they're actually up to 13 right now. So certainly a big matchup wow. for the Huskies. Now, on the bright side, if you struggle, um, it's not going to bury you as Right. Yeah, uh, provided Omaha. I forget who Omaha has in their last week of the regular season, but I don't think they're going to you know, move too crazily. Uh, Denver is right ahead of St. Cloud. St. Cloud moving up two spots to five. They're actually ahead of Western Michigan, still at six. Michigan at three, Quinnipiac at two. The Gophers, of course, uh, no blemishes yet besides really the game against Wisconsin, still sitting at one. Penn State at seven, Ohio State, BU, Harvard, Tech, Mankato, Omaha, Northeastern, Cornell, Notre Dame round out. Alaska is actually up to 17 right now. So if they have a decent weekend uh, coming up this weekend, they might actually. Somebody else falls. Yeah. Yeah. Make a case uh, here. North Dakota is at 21 for those who are are curious, by the way. Um, Other, your Wisconsin pals are at 32. Duluth is at 23 slash 24. Um, I'm always looking for Miami here because Huskies fans need to know that one. Uh, 47 is where the Red Hawks are right now. Certainly slipping. CC at 39 right now um st thomas right ahead of miami at 46 for other minnesota schools and i am looking for midgey state there they are 31 right ahead of wisconsin so there's kind of your general picture for the pairwise here but yeah st cloud's got to be better they've got uh, four hockey games to tune up before uh the playoffs here and 
you know, I think that this year, I think it's fair to say if this group doesn't make the frozen face off, it can be considered a bit of a disappointment um, considering what they brought to the table in the first half. They're going to have to find a way to remedy the loss of Dylan Anhorn, like you mentioned, and they've got to find a way to play the right way. I, you know, I know that one guy obviously is very important, but you've got to have better structure that, you know, is going to push that point. Is that on the coaching staff? Is that on the players? I think it's a healthy mix of both. I don't think yes. there's one, one piece that you can put together here, but certainly, uh, Brett Larson, Dave Shyak, RJ Anga, they're kind of in scramble mode here trying to figure out, you know, the tweaks for this team here as we approach tournament time. So should be very interesting. Other side of things here, though, WCHA, uh, women's hockey did exactly what they needed to do this weekend. 6-3 and 5-2 beating Mankato. Uh, Duluth did sweep Bemidji State, Minnesota uh, sweeping St. Thomas, although it was two to one in, in overtime at night number one. I wonder what the lineup card looked like four to two at night number two. I, I wonder what the lineup card looked like. I did not look um, for that. But then Ohio State losing to Wisconsin six five in overtime. They play again today on Sunday. That of course has bearing on the playoff implications. We have the top, or excuse me, the bottom. Six teams all set in the WCHA. We are just waiting on the top two because of the result of that game. Ohio State, I believe they for sure need a point, if not two. Two would definitely get him into first place. Right now it is Minnesota. So, um, And that, of course, will set up who they're going to have. Bemidji State will be the eighth seed. St. Thomas will be the seventh, seventh seed. Good on the Tommies for having a good second-half push as well, too. So um, before we recap the games, I guess we are talking about it. So Minnesota... Uh, right now uh, at 68 points, Ohio at 67. So Ohio State, basically a win today would, you know, push them in because um, actually based on tiebreakers, yeah, I believe Ohio State has to have at least two points. So they've got to, they've got to win in some fashion, I believe. Um, yeah. Wisconsin at 60, Duluth at 54. Huskies will get them in the first round at 36. Uh Minnesota State at 30, St. Thomas at 12, and Minji State at 6. That's kind of rounding up uh, what we're going to see. So the Huskies, of course, on the road against Duluth starting next weekend. Mankato will travel to Wisconsin for that matchup of 3-6. and six. And then on the other side, of course, we await the other two matchups. But attendance, 541 on the first night, 6-3 St. Cloud. The victory here, Addie Scribner, Clara Hemlerova, two goals for her. Courtney Hall scoring um, two goals as well. Taylor Lind, um, a goal on the power play. Tatum Geyer, Avery Myers, Emma Gentry, Grace Wolf, Taylor Lind, Dale Ross, and then Taylor Lind actually had uh, a three-point night for her to assist. Uh, so a very good night for her as well. St. Cloud was out to uh, a 5 to nothing lead before Mankato tallying a couple in the third, including a power play goal, um, and then the empty netter for the Huskies to seal the deal here. St. Cloud out shooting. The Mavs 34-24, exactly 50% in the faceoff dot. In this game, Jojo Choback, 8-7-5, stopping 21 of 24. Lauren Barbaro stopping 21 of 25 for an 840. And Alexa Berg stopping 7 of 8 that she saw. Huskies go 1 for 5 on the power play. Mankato 1 for 3 on the man advantage. Saturday did not get an attendance. They did not post it, unfortunately. I was very curious um, with the senior night festivities going on. 5-2, to two, the Huskies get the victory. Um, they were out 4 nothing at one point here. Addie Scribner had 
a pair of goals. Emma Gentry, Svenja Vote, uh, Reagan Bulger, all with assists there. Courtney Hall from Taylor Lynn and Dale Ross. Grace Wolf, her second of the season from Lyndon Himlerova. Um, Taylor Lind, uh, a three-assist game for her in this one, along with Ali Cornelius, the secondary assist on Yanina Newland's goal in the third as well, too. Um, to make it five to two Huskies did not score on three opportunities. Mankato um, one for three back-to-back weekends where this women's team has given up at least a power play goal. I believe in every game on the weekend though. So kind of an interesting trend to keep an eye on. Obviously the goal was late in the third in this one, but 57% the Huskies were in the faceoff dot though. 32 for 56 out shooting uh, the Mavs 29-25. Sonny Ahola a 9-20 stopping 23 of 25. Alexa Berg 24 of 29 for an 8-28. Well, I mean, it's safe to say this women's team has certainly ended on a high note. Um, hopefully the men's team can follow suit here. We, I mean... Tell me what you think of the weekend, obviously, but I think all eyes turn toward that big matchup against Duluth in the first round of the playoffs here. And obviously looking at some, you know, tournament seedings as well, too. This is a big weekend for St. Cloud, not only for, you know, obviously, you know, the first round of the playoffs, but uh, is it fair to say maybe like seeding implications in some senses too? I mean, like this, this team has, you know, a, an interesting look here as we we take a look at some of the standings here moving into playoff time. Yes, they do. Um, and again, Duluth has been on a freaking tear, you know, since yeah. before the, uh, the the holiday break. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes to understated, right? How important this is in terms of trying to a you know cap off at least at least right now what has been quite the season under Brian Idolsky uh, in his first, uh, you know, year with the club and, you know, trying to, you know, take a visible first step right now. We we've, we've seen a lot of steps this year, right. Uh, taking care of business again, this last weekend against Mankato uh, with some con- very convincing victories, but you know, this team isn't done. When was the last time we could say that when it's been mid February, right? This team is yeah. not done. And not only that, they've got a chance They've got a legitimate chance to make some noise. Uh, and Duluth is going to be a tough test. Again, the top four uh, of the WCHA this year has been rock solid. Uh, St. Cloud has looked, uh, you know, in parts very, very good against some of those top teams. Again, they've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Minnesota. Uh, they've come close against Ohio State, right? So they've had their fair share of good victories. Now the question is, can they put it together uh, against a top opponent like the Bulldogs, I think they are, are obviously capable of doing so. Uh, but they have got to look at this as one of their best opportunities um, here to make some noise. Uh, you you want to make sure you, you put together a good resume and see what happens. So this is huge for them. Uh, it, it goes without saying uh, this is going to be uh, quite the weekend for the Huskies. And, and, and I th- is it okay if I say this too, Noah, that no matter what happens, uh, what a season it has been for them. They've been a treat to follow and and what a job everybody, the coaching staff, the players have done. They deserve all the credit in the world. Yeah, certainly. Um, accolades obviously important, but as we know in Huskies hockey, you got to make sure that you're continuing to, to get the job done here. So for an idea here, of course, polls will come out tomorrow. Last poll, St. Cloud was at 12 right behind Vermont pairwise wise they're at 11 why do i bring this up don't forget last year the tournament format changed to a bunch of at large bids getting in uh, of course um getting all the way out 
to 11 teams now for the NCAA tournament on the women's side here with some single elimination games as well. So that's why we talk about, I think for the Huskies, you've got to have at least one this weekend. You know, regardless of the result, you like to have two and make sure you continue to keep that ball rolling. But you've got to have at least one, I think, to make your case here. Certainly a great weekend. I'm curious to see what the polling says as we, we approach tomorrow um, as well, too. But this women's team has a chance here to be an at-large bid. Like, it, like this is not... You know, this is not us like saying, oh, they've got an outside chance. Maybe, you know, if everything goes right, they have a chance if they continue to play the right way to have a chance here at a tournament. So, you know, I think that's a very exciting piece for this program uh, and very curious to see how the weekend goes. Obviously, a very tough test against Duluth made me feel a little bit better. Their performance um, a couple of weeks ago against the Bulldogs. They've been playing the right way, trending in the right direction, had a bit of a kind of a swoon a little bit uh, in the middle of the second half of the season. And since then have really rebounded with about four or five, maybe even six strong games uh, on the back end here, which is, 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 excuse me, which is exactly what you're looking for heading into tournament time here. So the women's team, uh, you know, this is a year where, you know, everyone says, Oh, you kind of hold your breath at tournament time. I think this is the first year I haven't held my breath in quite a while with this women's team heading into tournament time. Cause I have confidence knowing what they can do. I mean, it's certainly going to be a very exciting ride to the finish here. And we can't wait to uh, see what this women's team brings to the table. I know that maybe seems like a bit of a short preview uh, for the women's side, but I mean, really the bread and butter, of course, approaching next weekend, we're going to have everything to play for coming up this weekend. So if you have a chance, if you're around the Duluth area, uh, and have a chance to support this women's program. They can certainly use it as we push into the postseason. Minnesota Wild, um, will they even be in the postseason? That's <laughs> the first That's question. That's actually a legitimate question. <laughs> uh, 29, 21, and 5, 63 points. They are two points out of third in the central and four points out of the first wild card. Um, plus five goal differential as they sit in the second wild card. They are, um, Colorado, of course, is. Uh, two points ahead or one point ahead with one game in hand. Uh, Minnesota four, five, and one in their last 10. Their seven game homestand ends on Tuesday. They have Nashville today on Sunday uh, around one o'clock. LA on Tuesday. Then they're on the road at Columbus and Toronto Thursday, Friday before coming back home on Sunday to face Columbus again. They've actually got a pretty jam packed week this week. Uh, past week, Florida two to one shootout loss at home. Colorado, 3-2 regulation loss that passed Wednesday. Dallas, a shootout victory. And then, of course, Nashville today um, they will have in the mid-afternoon. Uh, this Minnesota team really could have used that Colorado game. Uh, the, the real issue here, Nick, uh, that we kind of really go back to here, this team cannot score. Um, On five, they cannot score. <laughs> yeah, they definitely can. It's actually uh, – I had sent this, of course, in our little group chat here if I can find it uh, – an interesting article that of course we had in the athletic, I believe it was Michael Russo. I'd be shocked if it wasn't, but he mentioned the wild. Uh, and I believe this was uh, before last game. They hadn't scored a goal without Kirill Kaprizov on the ice in 328 minutes and 20 seconds, which was Jonas Brodin scoring the third period against Arizona six games prior to that article. And it had been 12 games since a wild forward not named Kaprizov, Zuccarello, Eriksenak, Boldy, or Ryan Hartman had scored, which was January 14th. Um, That's not good. <laughs> uh, I mean, Minnesota, we'll talk about the, the trade deadline stuff maybe in the extra ice session too, but yes. I do not envy Bill Guerin's job 
uh, at this no. cur current point here. I mean, I, I what do you, what do we make of this team? Like where, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't where, know I don't where to start. Aaron knows, right? And I think this is, you know, and I think we'll, we'll save most of this for, for the trade deadline uh, in the extra ice. But shall we say that the team has not put him in a good spot, right? In terms of, what he's got to sort out in terms of do you want to acquire players? Do you want to sell off players? Uh, do you make call-ups? Uh, because again, that costs you cap space too. Uh, they did with Adam Backman uh, just to try to, you know, maybe splur up something. What do you do with guys like Sam Steele? Um, Alex yeah. Goligoski? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of question marks and more question marks than you want. If you want to be a playoff contending team, not even cup contending. I, I don't, I mean, let's be honest. They're, they're just not right. Uh, right now the decision is, is this team even a playoff contender? And I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. maybe we start with that too. Cause I know like, obviously people have talked about Ryan Reeves being in the lineup too. And that sort of thing. We talked about this with the Iowa wild deep dive last week. So go check that out. But you know, you look at guys like Sammy Walker, you know, obviously that we talked about last week, you know, Mark Rossi, Marco Rossi, if we're going to go to that, you know, whole debacle here should not be up here. I will what, say guy. what are the internal moves that, you know, people are clamoring for internal moves. What, what would you see that would be fitting for this team? Is there some credence to what people are saying? Or do you feel like, you know, maybe we should stand Pat where, should, where are we at here? So where people are at, cause you know, people can play armchair GM, right? No one that is that everybody knows the cap space situation in Minnesota, right? So they technically have uh, about $10 million they can acquire um, for the, for the trade deadline. So they've got more, cause again, you crew cap space every day. Don't ask me how it all works, you know, little detail by detail, but it's kind of complicated. Yeah. Uh, so they're, and then they're looking at, oh, okay, well, Iowa while they're doing okay. So, uh, how about the Sammy Walker guy who is leading the rookies in the AHL in scoring? Uh, Adam Beckman has been another hot hand for Iowa. There's your fixes. You don't have to go out because you don't have the money and you don't want to give up assets in a deep draft, right? So at the end of it, that was the easy conclusion. Now, they're not wrong, you know, per se, except for one thing. Um, why would you call up young players and put them into a dumpster fire of a situation and essentially – because Let's be honest. They know what's going on. They understand the struggles, right? And don't tell me that isn't a mind game for their own yeah. as they enter the ice, right? Is so the so the question is: Is that the right move for not only the team and in Minnesota, the team in Iowa, and more importantly, the player in his development, right? It's not as simple as a uh, equation as you want to make it seem like it is. Yeah. Because if it was, Billgren's already pulling the trigger, right? So I, I don't know. Uh, I, is it, could you call up Sammy Walker? Sure. Now, it, you know, do you want him to be the savior? No. Should he be? No. So uh, it really comes back to the ultimate question. Where does, you know, do, where do we see this team? I, I think right now, based on the recent struggles, no, this team, obviously the biggest thing is they can't even strength score if their yes. life freaking dependent on it and it, calling up, you know, a rookie essentially from the American Hockey League that's, yeah, got 21 goals, 22, wherever it is, um, leading the pace of his club and expect him to be that jolt is just not fair to, to anybody yeah. at this point. So I don't well, know. Well, speaking of saviors, Mark Andre Fleury really struggled. Surprised he got the yes. start against Colorado of all games. Um, Philip Gustafson, though, 
Oh, but he wasn't a C. He was not a NHL talent. Remember that, Noah? <laughs> I know. Um, you know, that's, times, a, that, that's the thing. You say that right on this podcast yeah. even for the puck drop. Give this guy some time to adjust to the system. He's a technically sound goaltender. We defended him since day one. And now people are like, well, ride the Gus bus, ride the Gus bus. And can we say we told you so? Exactly. And think yes. and think about what a steal this would be for Bill Guerin, 23, 24 years old, developing a Minnesota system. Cam Talbot, obviously in Ottawa, but you got younger at the goaltending position and maybe got a little bit better. Like And one catch, though. He's an RFA with arbitration rights. So, <laughs> so here's why they play Flurry, Noah, because now with Gustafson, his trade value keeps going, or sorry, not his trade value, but his value keeps going up. Yeah. So you know that you already are grasping for dollars. You, you have no idea what the cap situation is. This team cannot win. So yeah. I, I, I know what Seth Lester is looking through this. I'm like, why would you play Flurry? Now, granted, he. He, he's struggled, sure, like any other player can. Um, yeah. He's he's been okay for the most part for this season. Dare I say, there's a little bit of you know, yeah, convention and, going on right now. It kind of seals that way. And and keeping him obviously in that rotation too. You don't want a guy to sit for a long time, a la Correct. Cam Talbot last year. Um, but the other piece that I want to ask before we uh, move on to the extra ice session because I I feel like we're just we're tantalizingly close to talking about the trade deadline for Minnesota. Um, Dean Evison. Yeah. Is he on the hot seat? Is no. he, you know, what do you think about his decision making? Because people have talked about the lineup card course, Kalen Addison scratch, which I thought people, I thought it was funny that people are like, wow, you're going to scratch the one guy who's bringing offense in the back end of the power play. I'm like, well, yeah, he's got, he's like dash 17 and he's got 28 points. So that tells you. Absolutely. S-H-I-T. It's a pile of crap. Um, it, exactly. So which, what, what, what's the deal with Dean Evison? Do you think he always makes sound decisions? Do you think he's a little bit erratic no. at times? Like, yeah. Yeah, but I think also, remember last season, he didn't have to. You know, that's the big thing. Last year, things were clicking. Yeah, career it's, years for a lot of guys. Isn't that, isn't that hilarious yeah. how, as a coach, when things, when it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And I think for, for Dean Evison, when it, it's got to be the most frustrating position for him to be in when largely the roster minus <clears throat> Kevin Fiala, um is back, right? And this team goes from what a top five team and five on five scoring to what a bottom five team. Like it, it was, and I'm, I, I don't know if it's that extreme, but they were for sure in the top 10 five on five scoring last year. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, team also last year was able to come back in games. They always, they were never out of it. This year, it's like they go down and it's a struggle for them to come back. Uh, not, you know, and, and, you can attribute that to many different things, but well, you know, it's funny. You know, I, I always chuckled that people always said, Oh, you know, Kevin Fiala, you know, listed as a game breaker, but they're like, Oh, does he really break a game wide open? That's one of the things yeah. he brought to the table last year is he was a guy who, you know, it's a two to two hockey game. The wild have given up the last 10 shots. And then he'd come down and pick his way through two guys and just find a seam and put a puck in the net. And he was an all-star this year. Like that's, that's I, like, it, it, it obviously goes to more than that, but that's the type of guy that they're missing is this guy besides Kirill Kaprizov. Matt Boldy has played that role a little bit at times, um, but there really isn't anyone else that you can say, okay, flip a switch, lightning in a bottle, boom. You know, here's a guy that will suddenly just give you a jolt, you know, a, a real, you know, electrical shock, well, so to speak. Yeah, and Kaprizov, and, and I think 
that has to be understated too, right, Noah, is that last year they had that one-two punch, right, yeah. where Kaprizov line with Zuccarello and Hartman would come out, and then they would have a good shift. He followed up with Goudreau, Boldy, and Kevin Fiala, uh, you know, to continue to sustain that offensive pressure and be dangerous, right? Yeah. Uh, this year, without that really beyond that top line, they're just a threat of scoring. Um, and so you're seeing Kaprizov being double shifted. You can see that he's he's trying to put this team on his back and just, he just can't do it. Right. And he, he just, he's a human being. He can't. So it, it's tough. Right. And, and yeah, Addison is terrible defensively. What's his call it? What it is. He's not great right now. Um, whatever that, you know, whatever that is, um, I, I don't think it's a size thing. It just, I think simply he, he gets caught puck watching a little bit too much yeah. uh, and sometimes gets on the wrong side of the puck. But uh, at the end of it, you know, there's this, there's so many contributions to the reason why. And I think if you're Bill Guerin, I think if you're Dean Evison, uh, you, you're kind of just like what shaking, you know, the dice in a, in a Yahtzee cup and just trying to see yeah. if you roll out something that works. Right. So now granted, is there something to maybe some timing of decisions? Yeah. Like Dumba being scratched twice. Okay. Like I, I get if you're playing bad, Deserve Does, a spot. Doesn't this go back to the same conversation we had about Brett Larson? The coach obviously can make some decisions that can hamper teams, but at the end of the day, you got to go out and play. Yeah. And so, and at the end of it, you know, I, I think everybody, including us, was expecting some regression with people having careers, but they're not even meeting pre last year numbers, right? It's been literally yeah. a black and white sort of transition for the squad. And, you know, it's just something you can't predict, right? And, you know, this team, uh, in terms of the folks who are making decisions are scrambling, trying to figure it out. And there's no easy answer to it, unfortunately, yeah. the situation they're in. Well, we'll see if we can figure it out. We're going to jump on over to our extra ice session to see if the Minnesota Wild have a plan coming up at the trade deadline. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 150. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here on this Sunday, February 19th here. Um, well, we just talked about the Minnesota Wilds. So let's talk about them again. All right, the real question here, Nick, what in the world does Bill Guerin do at the trade deadline? We are about two weeks away. Does he do anything? Does he do nothing? Do they buy? Do they sell? Should we blow it all up? Should we move Minnesota to Quebec City? What's the cost? <laughs> Obviously, we're going to for, Quebec City. For, right? for a fourth rounder and Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tough, right? So let's talk about the position that they're in, right? So second wild card spot, uh, technically tied with Calgary. Uh, they get the tiebreaker just based on games played. Uh, when you go beyond Calgary, uh, it's a five-point cushion with the Nashville Predators. Here's the problem. Nashville has played three less games than Calgary and two less games than Minnesota, right? So you they, put... They've got a big game against somebody today, too. Yeah, they do. So um, at the end of it, uh, oh, yeah, it's right us. Uh, whole about that. So it's, it is the worst position to be in if you're an NHL GM, which is where you're at right now, you're literally on the playoff cutoff line and you don't know, you know, whether this team can, who's got some serious flaws. We, we've already highlighted them earlier in the show. Uh, and as much as you want to be, oh, geez, like a Mike Keenan and just sell everything off and, you know, try to bring in all the, you know, late 80s Blackhawks and late uh, or early 80s Oilers and say, yep, we fixed the problem. And, and, <laughs> maybe, that way. and maybe a couple extra screws to make sure the benches are nailed right. down if you've got him down. there. Exactly. Um, 
you just don't have the available cap space. Um, you do not want to give up any uh, you know, future in your prospects. You've got a deep prospect pool, uh, pool and it's not you're not in a position where you want to give up a prospect or a high draft pick. You're just not there yet, right? If you're a Stanley Cup contender, if you're in a position, shall we see New Jersey's in, maybe you make a big splash, <laughs> Timo Meyer. Um, so you're just not there. So you, you're in a position where it's like you you don't know if you're that good enough where it makes sense to make any moves. So I think, honestly, if it were me in the gym, you sh- you're going to be selling. That's so gonna be my it, prediction. You're gonna yeah. Sell. So so you think especially five next five games, five or six games, we're gonna know by the end of next week, and that's about a week before the trade deadline. So yep. you think if Minnesota especially drops four of their next five or six that we're they're gonna be selling, and it's not gonna be a total fire sale, but maybe some guys that you feel like you're not gonna get back. Um, so Matt Dumba maybe right. Uh, there's you know been multiple reports um, that Jordan Greenway's been shopped. Um, I think he goes as well. Uh, you know, you, you have decisions to make. And at the end of the day, I don't know where uh, as much as being highly touted, I don't know where Brock Faber, you know, and what he, what they expect him to jump in again, that's really not fair for him uh, to be the savior. I think he would be best suited to go to the uh, Iowa wild just to get his feet wet. Um, Not to say that he can't do it, but again, just trying to make sure you're developing your talent the right way. Uh, If you're going to fall like that, you just, you just got to make the move. Um, I'd be curious if they do uh, flip, like say Ryan Reeves. Um, I would be shocked if they flipped, you wouldn't be shocked. They flipped Stam Steele, who has, uh, you know, kind of fallen out of favor as of recent. Uh, It's interesting, right? Um, I, I don't know how you go about this, but I, I think you're going to sell it off if you're in that position yeah. and try to, again, build up that prospect tank. And at the end of it, if you're going to be bad a year, and I granted, we don't want to have this conversation, but with a very incredible deep draft, in fact, uh, one of the more talented drafts that have been since what, 2015 McDavid yeah. Eichel, um, not the worst timing, especially and- when you already have a, a, a good, uh, a good you know, space in the cupboard already filled. Yeah. Let's talk about it more. I don't know. What do you and, think? And hopefully, you know, uh, a couple of years of cap alleviation for the wild, regardless too, that, you know, maybe you're preparing for as well too. Let's be theoretical. Let's say the wild win five of their next six. Let's say they're just, they, they find some chemistry. They start popping five, six a night. They start rolling. One of the rumors um, somehow um, that in the mix is one of the suitors for Patrick Kane, the Minnesota wild are listed here. Let's start with some other big fish on the trade board here. Patty Kane, uh, one, does he move? And two, if so, where does he go? He is moving. He is not coming to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you have to remember that Patrick Kane has a full new move clause. And if he's going to go anywhere, if you're Patrick Kane, you want to win a Stanley Cup. Do not tell me that this is a team right now he looks as having the best chance to win a cup. There's just no freaking way. Now, could he be the Kevin Fiala missing piece? Maybe. But again... What does and not only that, what's the return going to cost the Wild? Yeah, is that right? is that is that enticing enough that Patrick Kane would like to be here as the riding shotgun to Kirill Kaprizov and say, "Oh, after this year, I'd like to be here as part of being one of the guys, so to speak." I think if you're, I think if you're the Wild, I think you stand pat. And I again, I, I would be remiss to think that Patrick Kane has us high on his list. Um, I would think if you're Patty Kane, you're looking at teams like New Jersey uh, again uh, to, to stay out east. Maybe Carolina. 
Um, you know, teams that are actually, you know, in the driver's seat, you know, top of their division, top of the Eastern conference. Um, and again, you kind of wonder too those intra-divisional trades that usually don't happen like this, but with Patrick Kane, again, having sort of his say, he's kind of in control of this, um, and and he's, he's earned that. I mean, hundred percent he's earned it. Uh, and, and again, I just go back to the same argument, right? Um, I just don't know if the Wild are really, really willing to give up the assets that Chicago's going to ask for Patrick Kane. So, I mean, could you be the weird beneficiary at the end of this year with Patrick Kane if, if you know, if he does not sign an extension, if he does get traded? I think he does get moved. Uh, question is to where? To me, it's going to be out east. I would put my money on New Jersey to make a push um, because uh, that would be or Carolina. That'd be the two teams I would look yeah. at. You what mentioned, you, you mentioned Timo minor as well too uh, yep. with New Jersey. Uh, what about Jonathan Taves? Uh, that's more of an interesting, he's not going anywhere. You don't think so? No, I, I think cause he, I think they just put him back on injury reserve. If I recall correctly, um, that's been the number one question with NHL teams is his health, right? Uh, there's no question when he's healthy, he still has the ability to play. But I, I think with uh, questions of his uh, and how just his durability, yeah, uh, that's been a tough sell. A uh, couple of other guys here. Uh, one that's been linked heavily to Minnesota in the recent year: Brock Besser, Vancouver. Nope, nope. Think nope. he's staying. Max Domi, There's Chicago. No way. <laughs> Max Domi, Chicago, twenty-seven years old, uh, pending UFA, obviously, but a very good uh, goal scorer for the Hawks right now. Um, uh, uh, good little uh, physical presence. You know, a guy that would fit in well to some decent lineups. Um, I, I, again, with Max, he's streaky. He's very streaky. Um, yeah. and he, he's, he's got an edge to his game, which with Reeves, you already sort of have that. So uh, I don't know if they, he's the type of player they're looking for at the moment. And, and again, you know, with Max Domi, you know, what, what does he bring to the table? He don't already have. How about on the back end, Jacob Chikrin, who's been out since February 11th, uh, essentially waiting for a trade um, for him. It uh, sounds like the Coyotes obviously want to move him. I mean, who is the oh, potential no suitor here? Oh boy. Um, well, he was linked to Toronto for a little bit too. Um, you can scratch the Maple Leafs off, uh, yeah. um, off, the, off the list, at least right now. Now I say that because the Maple Leafs somehow got Ryan O'Reilly with a third uh, team involved again, the Minnesota wild. So you can't say never say never. Um, Cause that's been the big talk in Toronto is, are you willing to give up Matthew nice? Now they didn't with the Ryan O'Reilly move question is, What's Toronto's been been their biggest weakness over the past couple of playoffs uh, series has been def- uh, de- uh, defense, right? So Ron O'Reilly, good defensive forward, right? So they kind of address that a little bit. He's a good 200 foot player, but I still feel like they're they're very thin at blue line. Uh, so to give up Justin Hall, um, I still in a weird spot, and d- this just me being crazy. I don't think Toronto's out of the chicken sweepstakes just yet, but. I would see, you know, New Jersey is highly in on Chikrin. Uh, like in Carolina, I could see uh, maybe even, I know the Rangers are kind of uh, thin on their cupboard space too in terms of assets. So um, maybe the New York Islanders too, I could see. Right. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that one's a tough one because, uh, again, when you're going to give up assets to for, for Chikrin, you want to make sure you can have a chance to re-sign them too. Just as much as with the Horvat thing, I said it would be shocking couple of weeks ago that they weren't working on an extension they did they they did that eight-year extension essentially i think the same day we released the episode um yeah so 
that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, these players are all going to get moved. The question is, you know, to where and and for what's what's the return? Yeah. What about like a place like Los Angeles, for example, as well? Too, you have Carl Gunstrom, who oh, of right. course yeah. is on injured reserve as well. Um, I was even thinking maybe a place like Dallas, if they could find a way to offload some cap as well, too. So he's going to be an interesting case. I mean, it's a team that has a necessary need. I don't know that Dallas really has a necessary need on the back end. I mean, the only guy that. Well, and and for and going back to Chickwin LA, uh, LA has kicked the tires in Chickwin quite a few times, and they haven't pulled the trigger because the asking price is so significant. Um, and you know, you kind of wonder too with you know they've been trending up recently. Does Rob Blake, uh, you know, make a last second pull of the trigger there? It, it's going to be hit or miss for me. It wouldn't shock me if he did, but again, it's you know, yeah, they. They had, you know, since their 2014 Stanley Cup run, you know, again, they gave up a lot of assets. It took them some time to kind of regather themselves. I'm kind of wondering who's a big gun shy on uh, the asking price for Chikrin uh, to the Arizona yeah. Coyotes. Um, so that's my only concern with them. Uh, but yeah. I know they talked about him being the favorite to land there with L.A. But again, they've they've had the opportunity multiple times to do it. And they haven't pulled it. So to me, you kind of wonder if the prices are going to come down before the next couple of weeks. Uh, I I don't know if they would with Chicken because Arizona has been uh, really good at getting fair value back with uh, their new uh, GM Armstrong. So I don't know. Uh, I'm yeah. not as sold with Chicken to LA as people are making it seem. Yeah, Shane Gossesbear, another name floated around for the Coyotes. John Klingberg from Anaheim. Um, Vladislav um, Gavrikov, obviously, for Gavrikov, the Blue Jackets yeah. as well, too. I've got two more names that I would like to throw out here. One defenseman, of course, Eric Carlson. Um, has been shot by San Jose. Do you see him staying? Do you see him going? That's kind of a There's, tough contract. To... He is not moving anywhere because of his term and with so much uncertainty with the cap situation too. Uh, I don't think he's, I, I, I think there's interest there for sure, but I think people you know, who would want to acquire them are looking at a, the term that's remaining with Carlson. And again, with so much uncertainty in, in the cap structure coming up, I just think that's too much of an, a mid season right now without knowing where the cap's going to be. And now with the Pally situation, right again, that could affect the NHL salary cap yeah. next year. Uh, I think teams are going to wait on Carlson as much as he's been, a return to form with San Jose. It's been really nice to see. He's been he's been playing some of his best hockey in quite some time since what his days in Ottawa before his you know injury stints. Yeah. Uh, I just think that the price is just too much, and uh, it would take a lot to offload to bring him on. And to uh, he's got what four four years left on his deal. I think it's yeah. I think so. That that's a lot of term that uh, uh, I think teams are not willing to to take on at, at during the midseason. Yeah, certainly. Net mining help here. Corral Vamelka, two years left at 26 years of age. He might be an interesting look, but the goalie I want to talk about here, 29-year-old John Gibson, four seasons remaining on his contract for the Ducks. Um, last guy that I want to talk about here, uh, do you think he moves anywhere? No, I don't. Um, he, he hasn't looked great, uh, honestly. I, and again, the term scares off a lot of teams, uh, especially yeah, with some that, very That team work. is so bad, though. Like. I get that, but also with John Gibson too, you know, there were times where even the past couple of seasons, you know, he was sort of single-handedly keeping them in games and, you know, he's been, uh, shall we say, you know, he's been, in, you know, out of, in and out of injuries. Uh, again, that term just, and, and again, I go back to it. It sounds like a scapegoat answer, but the reality is with money being so tight with so many NHL teams, 
Um, and with his health, you know, not being 100%, uh, I think there's questions around John Gibson. If you're going to trade assets to get a player for that term, uh, yeah. you want to make sure you're worth it. I don't, I'm not sure John Gibson is going to move just because simply, again, there's just so much that he carries with him that a lot of teams just simply don't have the room for him, one, and do too many question marks. And his cap, it isn't. The, so the smallest either. So yeah, certainly as a workhorse, though former Olympian as well too. We'll take a look at him, and we might revisit this topic next week. I would imagine, of course, as we have push, uh, of course, trade deadline March third, three p.m. Eastern time is the cutoff, so we will be paying attention. St. Cloud State, the men's team, Omaha is on the docket at Baxter Arena this weekend. Four games left in the regular season. Women's hockey up in Duluth, the WCHA playoffs start now. The Minnesota Wild have five games, uh, almost six, essentially within the span of a week. So pay attention. It's going to be a very interesting ride to the finish here for Nick Maxson. I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the deck.